Hello there, and welcome to Sweet Child of Time. I'm your host, Steve Barnes, and today we are recapping Dark. We're up to episode eight at this point, where this episode is titled, So You Sow, So You Shall Reap. It's a real tongue twister of a title. And I'm here with my co-host, Lindsay Dunn, from one of my stories. Ahoy there, Lindsay. Ahoy, Steve. Yes, it's the longest uh, episode title we've had yet. I don't like this episode. I like this episode. The title, I'm not a big fan of, i got to say. <laughs> it felt like, yeah, it felt like a little bit of a out-of-the-ballpark change after all the lies, secrets, crossroads, mm-hmm. you know. I'm hoping more for those one-word titles as we're coming up, but we'll see what happens. I'll, I won't give them a hard time, though. You know, creative freedom and all of that. As much as we like this show, we're okay with whatever they call the episodes, I think. Yeah, absolutely. We're on board with it. So what's going on this week, Lindsay? How you doing? I'm doing good, Steve. Yeah? Any news Steve, for us? Yeah, I have a, a poem oh. that... Something I hadn't considered before. You know, you've been reading letters, Steve, but I have a pretty nice level of comments I've gotten on my blog posts, so I I haven't really tapped into those. So this week I thought I would share a poem. I had these viewers, Max Olga. Um, It's a married couple or a a partnered couple somehow. They made an account called Max Olga, which is their names, Max and Olga. And for a while, each episode, they were writing a poem that went with the episode. So I want to read the one that that was that they shared for the last episode this is killer okay yeah so it's only four lines so it's not very long but he she the the there's no title so it says we are most taken with the priest what a muscular beast what a tattoo what a chest he really does his best (laughs) that's wonderful (laughs) and it's all about a hot priest yeah i like this yeah i wanted to shout out max olga for their for their (laughs) poems yeah good deal we didn't get to see his uh his barren chest this episode in episode (laughs) eight he was wearing all of his clothes unfortunately (laughs) yeah but that's great we got a little a little uh little something from one of my stories over there right isn't that where you got Mm -hmm. that from yeah this is a comment that was left on the i guess it was the crossroads episode written recap that i had so if you oh okay yeah. So it's about the episode last week, not this week. Okay, yes, I see now. Last week, when we got yeah. to see his chest and his <laughs> tattoo, it was what a tattoo. I agree with the poem. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I wanted to, I feel like we neglected to mention something in the episode that was kind of an important thing. Okay. Is that last week Jonas was interrupted by the stranger, right? And he explained to him that if you interrupt this meet and greet between your parents, you (laughs) Mm -hmm. will never be born. And I believe we forgot to mention that when he went back to 2019, he burns the letter. That We did. Yeah, we did not talk about that. And I was mad at him for doing that. I didn't understand it. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it, Jonas, you can't do that. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, What were your points you wanted to bring up about that? Because I'm just mad. Well, I don't know if, I guess the point I see in him doing that is that that I want to, I guess I want to say that at that point he had decided 
he was no longer going to try to change the past. You know, by burning the letter, he was trying oh. to... I feel like that was him okay. helping himself resolve that, you know, the, the stranger has explained, I need to butt out and let things happen as they need to happen. And so as a kind of a grand gesture, he went home and burned the letter as a symbolic almost um, like a you know, stage uh-huh. of grief. You know, I'm going to let go. I'm going to move on and not going to try to interrupt Mikkel anymore. And maybe there's not too many points, but I just feel like we neglected to mention that such an important thing that it was a very grand gesture of him because he had been collecting these items for his backpack, right? The lantern, the um, the Geiger counter, the map, and the letter was in right. one of was one of his treasured possessions that he did not leave at home, and mm. here he is burning it. Yeah, you're. I, I, I guess we did. We glossed over it because last week we ran long. I think mm-hmm. we um, ended up at like a two hours twenty, and I guess maybe we were just trying to um, you know get through things at the end of the episode there, which is probably the editor's fault. We probably should have you know allowed time to to discuss that fully. I'm less mad now after your description. Uh, that makes a lot of sense because he's he's heeding the stranger's advice, and it's it's good advice actually. I feel that if he does just kind of let the um, you know he sees now like the like the impetus and like the beginning of everything, and so now all he has to do is just let it play out, and then he will end up you know where he's at. So yeah, by burning the letter, that solidifies it. It makes me less mad. Me and Heather were both, my wife Heather and myself, were both just just could not figure out why he was burning the letter. And it's like, you know, take a picture of it first or something. Like, don't do this. This is like an important what made letter. You, yeah, what made it, what made you mad about it? Uh, just the fact that it was such an important letter. It It wasn't just, you know, like a note to... It wasn't just like a note, like from a father to a son, like, you know, saying, I love you before he dies. It's like mm-hmm. even more revelatory than that. It's mm-hmm. um, proof of time, not proof of time travel, but to Jonas, it is. And to us, the viewer, it is proof that it exists. So it's so important. Mm-hmm. It's like an, an almost as important of a document as the Declaration of Independence. You know, I mean, this is a historic <laughs> yeah. thing here. So that's why we were mad at him for burning it, just because it seems, you know, so reverent of a mm-hmm. thing. And plus, it's like a physical representation of everything, I guess, too. Yeah. Well, it's a physical representation of the reveal that his father has shared that I am Mickle. So I guess there's several ways we can interpret it. We could interpret it like I'm moving on, but also that I'm going to forget, like I'm choosing to forget that I know this piece of information. Mm -hmm. So maybe Jonas thought, hey, I can go back and just pick up where everything left off. You know, Um, I'm going to forget that Marta is my aunt. Way I feel like he's trying to do the right thing, even though maybe the right thing would have been in that moment. Um, for him to help Mikkel, regardless of the consequences, because in a way, his actions are self-serving. He's like, I don't want to erase my existence. So he picked, almost like he picked himself over his father. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm very, I'm very, 
um, conflicted about it. I'm not saying I agree with it or I think it's interesting that you were mad and I don't think I blame <laughs> you for that. But he made a choice, you know, to, to do that. So I thought it was a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty important kind of plot point that I, I just wanted to make sure we put in there. Yeah, okay, good deal. Thank you for doing that because it blew right past me as well. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, I, a little bit of news that I have is mm-hmm. we are getting ready to wrap up our season one of Dark here now. So that means that I've concluded season one of Wheel of Time, season one of 1899, and we're almost done with season one of Dark. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to do an in-between season episode with James. We're going to do Conan the Destroyer, and the reason we're doing this is because uh, Robert Jordan, who wrote Wheel of Time, also wrote five of the Conan the Destroyer books, or Conan the Barbarian books, I should say, including the uh, novelization of Conan the Destroyer. So that's our little tie-in, just a real excuse just to watch the movie and watch Arnold and talk about Wheel of Time a little bit. Then you and I are getting back into uh, Dark. Uh, We'll be continuing season two of Dark beginning around... I think the calendar showed me around the end of June, uh, we'll be doing season two of Dark, and we're, that's going to run us through right up until the premiere of Wheel of Time season two, which happens on Amazon Prime September 1st. And we're going to be putting out episodes um, immediately following the um, episodes as they air, or you know, not immediately, but a couple days later, give me a little mm-hmm. time to edit and us time to talk about it and take our notes and stuff. Um, but yeah, we'll be doing Wheel of Time season two as it comes out. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and it gives Lindsay a little bit of time off. You get a vacation. Congratulations, <laughs> Lindsay, because I'll be doing this with James. <laughs> yeah. So have you seen Conan the Destroyer before? Yeah, I saw it when I was a kid. I saw it in theaters. Okay. Um, I remember Grace Jones. I remember The Thief. I don't remember a whole lot about it. Um, mm-hmm. I remember it being funny. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I pro- probably the last time I saw it was honestly it was probably more like 91 or 92. I watched it with my friend Sam more than likely on, you know, VHS tapes at his house. Um, but, you know, it's yeah. just just a reason for me and James to get together. And James chose the movie. So I'm willing to go with things like that. I'm willing to podcast with Nate. I'm trying to work with Nate to do some stuff. I don't know if that's going to come or come or not, but I'm being very lenient with him. Like whatever you want to do, I'm on board with it, Nate, just as long as you want to podcast with me. And as long as I can keep doing Wheel of Time and Dark, I don't care. <laughs> so for the viewers, are you going to be just talking about the movie or will you be talking like the movie and the book? Um, no, we won't be recapping the movie at all. We'll just, um, you know, talk about it the same way we discussed Under the Skin. Um, Mm -hmm. Just a few talking points here and there, uh, how it ties in with Robert Jordan. And I've already done a lot lot of Robert Jordan slash Conan research that I'll be sharing and the timeline and how he met his wife and how Conan, Conan the Barbarian ties in with (laughs) Robert Jordan and his uh, wife Harriet meeting and getting married and stuff. So, you know, it's a cute, it's a meet cute in a bookstore. (laughs) You know, you got to love that. (laughs) We love our meet cutes. Yeah. So that's what I'm focusing on is that. And mm-hmm. and then just us talking about the Wheel of Time. I have a, uh, I actually have a quiz for both you and for James. Um, if we ever have time, some spare time to do it. I've got a, okay. uh, a Barnes burner quiz for both of y'all. So. <laughs> <laughs> a 
barns burner? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But yeah, I think that's all the news that I got for right now. I really want to get into our recap, right? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Okay. All right. So this episode starts with a quote from Shakespeare. Nice. Hell is empty and all the devils are here. In German, of course. But we they translated it for us into <laughs> English. <laughs> Thanks, Netflix. Are they saying that, that Winden is hell? I don't, I don't like that. Yeah, what are they saying? I don't know. <laughs> I don't see Jonas as a devil. I mean, come on. <laughs> All the devils are here. Yeah, I think we're not supposed to understand exactly what they mean by it, but Good. maybe we make a maybe we'll make a translation by the end of the episode. Who knows? I still didn't get it, but I'm I'm willing to listen to you go on with the rest of the recap. <laughs> so young Helge rides his bike through the woods. And I think this might be the same path that Charlotte took to walk to the cabin, perhaps. Seemed like it. Maybe yeah. not. I'm going to choose to think it is. I Because so. I like the idea of geography of Winden, us getting to know the geography of Winden really well. Yeah. A police car drives on the road ahead of him, and the police car is driven by young Egon Tiedemann. Looking pretty good. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's got the official... Uniform on this time, right? Yeah, he looks great. He looks like a marine type <laughs> dude. Um, got his yeah. rosary up there, tucked away, so you know he's on the on the side of good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, it's a very but, different Egon. But I, I I I could see the actors tied together. I could see how this Egon, you know, thirty three years later became the Egon that we're used to. I can see it. Mm-hmm. At first, it was kind of a they, shock, but the more I watched it, the more I agreed with it. Yeah, I don't think they picked as good of a physical, you know, representation this time, but they they worked well with the behavior. <laughs> yeah, the mannerisms, I thought, were pretty spot on. Yeah. So Egon arrives at a construction site where two dead bodies have been found. And the lead detective, who is Daniel Conwald, flash, 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 father of Inez, which is very (laughs) cool, uh, brings Egon up to speed on what has been found. The boys are dressed in funny costumes, according to Daniel. And you can also see the boys' eyes are burned, just like the body of Mads, the billboard. Marking the site reads, an important investment, nuclear energy for every household. (laughs) Propaganda. (laughs) Up there, set up. This is, you know, this is uh, before the power plant was made. And we remember from our quiz and from the first mm-hmm. episode that power plant was made in 1960. But I guess it broke ground here. 1953 mm-hmm. is when they started, you know, advertising it and started digging, digging stuff, right? Right. Yeah. And the men stop talking because they notice that young Helge is spying on them and has seen the corpses, which is not something you want at your construction site or your crime scene. Right. I should say. Or your construction site. probably. <laughs> I almost think Egon maybe should have chased him down, but I think he was probably in uh, in quite a state of shock because he, you know, you could tell this really affected him deeply. Um, finding like two dead bodies because he's really confused and affected by this. So maybe his wits weren't about him, but that's probably what he should have done is gone and uh, 
you know, uh, not run down hell, but you know what I mean, gone and commandeered him and uh, talked to his parents and things like that. Because what happened mm-hmm. was he went and told his dad and his dad inadvertently found out, you know, through his son and through the mm-hmm. improper channels. Well, that's interesting because he did say, you know, later in the episode, he says, I was going to go see Hellgate anyway, uh, but I don't think he ends up even bringing up the construction site, um, the -hmm. bodies at that. But was there anything about this opening scene, Steve, I guess? Mm -hmm. Were there any... Um, I don't know, repeating motifs that you that you grabbed onto that were like, oh, this seems familiar. Huh. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Like the the kid riding the bike. Uh, I loved his bike. First off, it was beautiful. I like loved everything about it. Uh, then I realized he's a rich kid, so of course he has like the best bike with all the <laughs> all the best accessories on it. Um, Let's see. The police car stuck stuck out to me as a nice little VW Bug. Um, those are all. Those always stick out. I did notice that the path was the same path that Charlotte was walking on as well. Um, we didn't see any power lines on them because we don't have a power source yet. Once the mm-hmm. nuclear plant is built, they'll put those power lines up along that back road. Um, no, did you? Okay. Well, I guess, I mean, mainly I was thinking about the fact that they were like, man, they're dressed funny. Yes. And I remember how Charlotte was like, somebody dressed them as if they were in the 1980s. Yeah. I brought that up on the first or second episode that we talked about. Right. They said it here too. I underlined it. I didn't make a note of it, but I underlined it. Um, So that's maybe that's maybe that was my problem. Why I didn't bring up the uh, the burning thing last time either. I underlined instead of took a note. Um, yeah, the funny costume thing, but that really comes into play during the, uh, uh, the autopsy. So I guess we'll talk about that more there. Yeah. So we've entered this new time period and we don't know yet what the year is, but Mm -hmm. the events of this episode happen in, in sort of a split there's sort of a split narrative number one is the events that are happening in this new time period which we find out later is 1953 yes and which is 33 years before 1986 of course but at the same time we keep cutting into this conversation between the stranger and hg tanhouse right Yes. And so that starts right after we leave this crime scene. We see the room with the clocks and the stranger looks in and he looks all haggard <laughs> and beat up. He's carrying his suitcase and he begins asking Tanhouse questions as if, in fact, Tanhouse says something of where were we? Where did we leave off? Yeah, it seems like they're continuing a conversation they had the last time they got together. Yeah. So he asks about the Einstein-Rosen bridge. And this is a passage between a black hole and a white hole. And it allows for a wormhole to... um, It's a wormhole that allows travel between time and space. So had you heard about the Einstein-Rosen bridge before dark, Steve? (laughs) No, but I have heard about that. Um, that theory, not the name itself, mm-hmm. but like the black hole and the white hole and then the space in between 
is I think I learned that from watching Quantum Leap or maybe from watching Sliders. I didn't learn it from college or from like <laughs> anywhere reputable. Mm-hmm. I learned it from a TV show um, and like what happens in between those two spaces. So it's, it's based on scientific theory um, and it seems to make sense. Um, yeah. What I was wondering, I couldn't quite tell because I did the math just assuming that um, Tannenhaus was 25 in 1953. So in this scene, you know, Tannenhaus is older. Mm-hmm. Um, the stranger, we don't know how old he is. So I was, I was trying to figure out what year this was, if it was 1986 or if this is 2019. So mm-hmm. he would be roughly 58 in 1986, which I think he looks about 58. But then he would be 91 if it was 2019. And he, I guess he could be a young looking 91. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. just think it's interesting how it's um it's I think it's set up that way to almost make you wonder like what year this is that they're talking. Right. I think it's I think it's in an unknown for now it's an unknown time period. It could be in one of our it could be in one of our established time periods or it could be in another time period that's in the middle, you know. We don't oh. really know. I guess I'm just going by the 33 thing, but I guess they want to throw every other year in there too. I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that that depends on that depends on what sort of you know we've seen the people that use time travel have been using the caves, right? And with the caves, obviously, you can only travel 33 years exactly. Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay. So if the stranger's only um, method of time travel is the caves, then yes, he could only go to that time period. But he has this, t- you know, this machine in a suitcase. Right. So does that give him special powers or is it truly broken and it's unusable? And if it's so, how does it work differently? And um, I think it's I think it's interesting to contemplate but it's it's nice that this conversation seems to happen separate from the rest of the events in the episode. Yeah, yeah. it gives us like a narrative um, to go through as well. Mm-hmm. And we don't see any other... If we saw other characters come in, that might help us place when it is... Well, maybe just we'll like, see that a little yeah, later on. Yeah, hmm. yeah maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so we're then we cut back to... Kind of where the last episode left off with old Helge is walking through the cave holding a lantern. And we were like, well, where is he going? Like, what does he think he's going to (laughs) do? Yep. We don't. We don't know. We never get that answer. Yeah. Yeah. So Ulrich is following him safely from a distance. And at some point he finds the red cord and tracks its course following the same steps that Jonas did. And he comes to that thing that looks like a door knocker on the floor. Right. And I, when I watched the episode on the on my desk, Steve, I realized that it's the snake eating its own tail. Oh, neat! And it's called that. That Ouroboros? thing has a name: the Ouroboros. Right. Okay. And I believe that this is a symbol. Another symbol from um, mythology, but mm-hmm. I think it might actually also be a part of that, um, the 
I mean, it means several things, of course, but it's a symbol of eternity. But also they would use them as you remember how I said, oh, it looks like a door knocker. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what it is. They would use it as a as a symbol that like to mark a path. The door is nearby. So this is kind of right before the door. (laughs) Yep. The Sikmundus door. Yeah, guide you, guide you to the way, and mm-hmm. it's great that he finds this too. Um, it's great luck. I don't know what happened to Helg here because mm-hmm. he obviously didn't go through as well because he would have seen. He did him, go but. through. He did go through. If you, um, I know oh, you've yeah? already watched the episode several times, but right before Ulrich finds the Ouroboros, you can actually hear a really loud noise and the wind and then it and then the door shuts and the wind stops really so we can assume that helg right before he found the door helg goes through the door (sighs) and took a path that's not good because he's all like he's dement (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't even know what he's doing he's just gonna wander into anywhere but i guess he fits into any time scheme being an old demented man but no i didn't he's not really dement Oh, okay. Well, good catch there. Yeah, I didn't have any of the notes for that, but that's really neat. Mm-hmm. That uh, I wondered. I just assumed that you know he got lost in the caves, and that was just a, you know, just a plot device, just to move the plot forward. But I guess not. Yeah, I mean, remember, I'm. I just noticed that this episode as well. This my is my you know my second watch. Oh, neat. Last night. Um, okay. You know, my second watch this time, but right. I just noticed that as well that you can hear the noise of the door opening because you hear the wind and then it stops. So I think that that's, I think Ulrich hears that noise, then finds the door knocker and then he finds the door because he's, that's, that's who he was after. He was look you know, following Helg. So I did notice that Jonas went right and Ulrich went left. So I guess going to the right takes you to 86 and going to the left takes you to 53. Mm-hmm. So Ulrich was just yeah. a fifty-fifty coin toss away from <laughs> reuniting with his boy, but he would he would have screwed everything up. Well, I don't know if it is. <laughs> she sure did like come into nineteen fifty-three like a wrecking ball, didn't he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it feels like you know nobody ends up in the year they wanted to end up in. Right. Yep. I mean, Jonas does, but he also got a clue from from the stranger. Who helped him, you know, he marked the path. So he, of course, he could have gone to 1953 just as well. He could have. Yeah, he could have. He didn't have a guidance there. Mm Mm-hmm. So then the stranger and Tanhouse are talking about the concept of duality. And that they think about dualism, black and white, up and down. But a truer model is the Triketra, or the Trinity Knot. And there's a third dimension, the wormhole connects three dimensions, future, past, and present. Right. And I nobody said this, but the the image that popped into my head actually as I was thinking about the infinity symbol, how we have the figure eight on its side, which has mm-hmm. two circles that are connected, right? Right. Um so in a way the triketra is the Trinity dot, but it's um, well, not okay. the Trinity Knot. It's it's that same sign, the infinity symbol, only it's stretched to add this third dimension. Right. You're exactly right. 
So Ulrich reaches the fork where the tunnel divides, and he chooses a path. And in 1953, Helge, Helge arrives at his very fine home, which is one day what will become the Wyndon Hotel. That's so neat. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, one of the locations. We'll find out about the other one there, but yeah. we find that family homes have changed hands between our four main families. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, the, I would never have known that if you hadn't pointed it out. They make it more apparent, like, later on in the episode? Well, I don't think anybody ever says that, but we see the Wyndon Hotel, and visually we can see they look exactly the same okay. from the outside. Mm. <clears throat> um, but... The stairway, when the when the stranger comes in or whatever, that front desk is basically to that right, or sorry, the left of that stairwell. Um, but gotcha. one thing, one thing we have to notice about the rooms in dark is a lot of times in one time period they show us the room from one angle and then another time period they show it from another angle right so like um the blue chair room for instance when we see the blue chair room in yeah. when it's the blue chair room <laughs> we're seeing it um sort of from the you know so that it's tall long long way and when we see it as the bunker we're seeing it in the wide way so noticed, they sort of disguise, yeah. I, I noticed that with the Nielsen household, too, because, like, when I was watching them move about that household, I was, like, trying to envision the kitchen table and, like, the couch where Katerina was sitting and stuff, and you couldn't quite do it because the angles were were different, but it was definitely the same house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Helge arrives home. And he's greeted by this very strict-looking woman who's his mother named Greta Doppler. Mm-hmm. So this is the wife of Burned. Yes. And the mother of Helge. And he comes home, and she goes on about how dirty he is. But I really didn't notice much except for maybe, like, one smudge on his face. Exactly, Yeah. I think she's and, just a super control freak or something and can't have anything out of place. Yeah. It was... This scene was really uncomfortable. Very. I, I didn't know how far she was going to make him undress. <laughs> uh, I didn't know if she was going to start striking him. It was like her vibe is terrible. Right. Well, also, you have to look at... I think Helge's body language as well makes it even more awkward because he mm-hmm. keeps covering his private parts as if he's naked almost, even though he's in his underwear. Which And it makes you really suspicious that right. he's being sexually abused, you know? Yeah, that that's something that he has to normally do is protect himself. And so that he's gone mm-hmm. to protecting mode here. Like, I don't yeah. like it one bit. Like, <clears throat> I think I said a couple episodes back how... You know, you can tell how a character is by how they treat kids and animals. And mm-hmm. I'm seeing how she's treating little Helge, and it's terrible. It's awful. Like, I'm watching another show, Silo, right now, and there's a really, really mean character. Real bad guy type, you know? He's awful. But then he goes home, and he's like a real sweet dad to his kid, and he reads him books and stuff. So it's like, oh, he's a nice guy, right? 
Mm-hmm. This this woman could do anything she wants. This Greta, she could show any act of charity, and I wouldn't believe it because I've seen how she treats her kid, and it's not good. So, I'm yeah, I'm not on team Greta. Let's just say that. Yeah. So she makes him strip down to his underwear so she can wash his dirty clothes, apparently, <laughs> and pulls him really hard by the ear. And then he tries to tell her about the construction site, but she's not really interested. And his father arrives home, burned, and we see... So this is the guy that's in the wheelchair one day, and here right. he is. We see him limping with a cane. So this he's a little more mobile here. <laughs> Much more mobile, yep. Mm-hmm. And they did a great job picking his 1980 uh, or 1950 persona. I feel like their characters look so much alike um, him and his 1980 self so Helge tells him about the dead bodies and Byrne rushes off immediately maybe afraid that it would keep the power plant from being built on schedule he fears yeah he fears the worst that's right yeah and but we before he does that we do see some warmth between him and Helge so it looks like maybe they have a pretty good relationship I got the sense, yeah, they have a normal father-son relationship and they just kind of tolerate um, Greta being the way she is, <laughs> which is, you know, doesn't really speak very well for Burnt that he's, you know, not more more protective of Helge. But yeah, I got the yeah. sense that they were just, you know, a normal father-son. There was no abuse there, no bad vibes there. Yeah, well, it was kind of a classic enabler feel. I felt like that he's... You know, you could see he was being, he spoke to Helge kindly and was listening to him. He wanted to hear what he had to say. And, but he doesn't really, I don't think he likes what Greta's doing, but he doesn't really stop her either or speak exactly. up to defend Helge. Yeah, that's not so, to his credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other things, any other thoughts for this scene, Steve? Uh, yeah, just the fact that I didn't like it. I don't like her. And I think we can move on because I think that's well established. <laughs> they, they don't they don't give her any redeeming qualities whatsoever. Uh, um, hmm, I'm wondering if maybe she's going to come up at the end in the character awards. <laughs> we maybe. shall see. Yeah. <laughs> well, for right now, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. OK. OK. Hey, guys, it's Michael. Roy. And Travis. With the Bad Potatoes Podcast. We talk about movies, pop culture, and TV. But mostly movies. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify by searching the Bad Potatoes Pod. You can also find us on Instagram at Bad Potatoes Pod, on Twitter at the Bad Potatoes Pod underscore, and on YouTube at Bad Potatoes Podcast. Please comment, follow, listen, subscribe, and don't forget to smash potato that like button. We appreciate it. And we are back, sweet child of time, and we are at the police station at this point, back in 1953, is that right? Yes. So at the police station, the men are giving an autopsy report to Egon and Daniel about the dead bodies. Our, you know, our cute little um, 2019 (laughs) forensic specialist is nowhere to be found. Um. 
but that we have we do have a very a very thorough um, guy we've yeah, seen in every time good. period now that the, they're all very very good at their jobs, aren't they? I think they're probably like the best at their jobs in this show so far. <laughs> These autopsy people are just full of knowledge, straightforward information, no nonsense. I love it. So each of the boys has a one fennig coin on a red cord around the neck. Mm-hmm. And the eyes are burned. Their eardrums are shattered. Uh, the the boys... Okay, I'll just say, the boys are Yastin and Eric, Obendorf. <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody um, watching knows, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the man says, one of them is dark-skinned, possibly Mediterranean or Arabian, <laughs> which is not a word I think we use anymore. No, but it's um, good. It, it shows you like the time period, which is which is smart. Yeah. yeah, these are you know the other thing we can assume might be worth bringing up is that that we had the dates that Noah wrote on the wall before, right? November fifth and November ninth, nineteen fifty three. Yes. So these two boys were found on those dates. And it's just another confirmation that it's 1953, you know, that that we have that. I mean, there's some consistent things like the red string and the and the the effing penny, whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I like the fact they pointed out the clothes made in China and, (laughs) you know, that's a foreign concept to them. They're like, oh, my God, they're they're communists. Um, So that's a, a really a really neat, like, you know, time warp as well. Oh, and yeah, the tattoo. Made in China. And the tattoo, the I unicorn with the rainbow. <laughs> yeah, like, like Eric's a brony. Is that what we're supposed to infer from that? <laughs> that he's into My Little Pony. Is that like a real tattoo or is that just like a party tattoo? Yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> we do know that in 1953, the only people who had tattoos were right. like sailors and soldiers. So the, you know, teenagers having tattoos was not done. Right, and especially a, t- a tattoo like that. Like, they they don't understand, like, ironic humor at that time. Mm-hmm. But the guys, yeah, they're like, I've never seen anything like this before. They might, they, I, you get the feeling they find the tattoo the most disturbing thing of all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, I guess, everything is puzzling about it, but they're, they're going to puzzle about it a little bit later on, so we can, uh, I'm going to wait until... Egon has his questions to make any more comments. Okay. So Ulrich comes out of the cave and he looks around surprised. And this this is just like in 2019, we have the yellow chair. Right. In 1953, the, we have the bars. There's like a gate covering part of the cave where Mickle disappeared in 1953 and now has bars. So that helps us, again, to orient ourselves in what time period we're in. <laughs> Which I guess at one point there was like bars completely blocking that cave entrance. And, mm-hmm. you know, over time to 1953, we now have access to it, I guess. Yeah. Well, this is before the power plant was built. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of like, hmm. Wonder what these bars are here for. Right. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? So young Helge walks to the cabin and goes down where we know we know is the hatch. <laughs> oh, wait. And... First, he, he does that. He's a weirdo. He like closes his <laughs> eyes 
to like see how long he can keep his eyes closed while he's riding his bike. Pretty dang reckless. Right. I didn't think of that as a weirdo. I thought of it as... I don't know, this this just reminds me a lot of, like, the kids from Stranger Things that are, you know, you always dare yourself. Now, <laughs> when you're younger, kids dare each other, their friends dare each other to do things, but Helge doesn't really have any friends, so he only has himself to dare. Mm-hmm. And um, he has a good time yeah. by himself. This is, like, the only time he has fun, I think, is, like, playing soldier and you get the sense that he does this a lot, you know, he, mm-hmm. this isn't the first time he's spotted that thing. You know, he like has this whole ritual of discovering it for the first time every time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then he goes he's, in there and does his thing and throws his acorns around. <laughs> yeah, he's using these pine cones, pine cones as, acorns. as pretend grenades almost. <laughs> and then he uses Ooh. his... Dick as a play rifle, yeah. <laughs> so we were seeing like the pine cone like motif to like lure the kids earlier, um, and he had pine cones like in his glove compartment too, and so like, but here oh, he's yeah. using the pine cone as like an instrument of death. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not exactly the like the uh, the typical pine cone meaning, which is like welcoming and you know a friendly hello. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's using them to well, kill people. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, defend the realm type stuff going on right here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, the, um, um, Noah's dates are on the wall. You can see them there on the wall. So I guess this, mm-hmm. he's playing here after um, Noah scrubbed the floor up and wrote those name, uh, dates on the wall. Yeah. And we know that. 1980s Helge um, is the one that dragged the bodies out. And so, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so 1980s Helge is, is hanging out here sometimes in the 50s, I guess. Um, and then here he is, young Helge. So that's kind of trippy. It's very trippy thinking about it. Like, especially thinking about the fact, like, later in the episode like you know he he has he wakes up in this room and his the room looks completely different when he wakes up um mm-hmm. from last episode so yeah it is it's a real uh, real head scratcher this show is yeah we cut back to the stranger and tanhouse and they're discussing nietzsche's cycle of eternal recurrence that the universe repeats itself on the lunar solar cycle, which repeats every 33 years, which we, you know, already talked about with mm-hmm. Charlotte. Charlotte and Ulrich talked about this. That's right. In their big episode, their moment together. And Tanhouse is also talking about the other uses of 33, like the 33 miracles of Jesus and 33 cantos in Dante's Purgatory. And it's the age that the Antichrist begins his rule. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Noah. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. <laughs> um, before, did you want to say anything about no. that speech? Okay. Nope. All right. So Noah stands in front of a church with a book stamped with a sick Mundus symbol. Love it. Yep. And across town, Egon and Daniel are talking as they examine the photos of the dead boys. And they start to talk about 
Well, at least Egon is asking, why do people kill? And are killers born that way or made right. that way? And Daniel says he preferred to catch them younger and lock them up to stop bad things from happening in the future. Right. A little and bit my, f- the, yeah, go ahead. So I was just going to say the thing that I took away from this when I did my written, written recap, as I said, Egon took this lesson to heart as he comes to think Ulrich needs to be behind bars at all times. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking this is foreshadowing for this very episode when we see mm-hmm. Ulrich, you know, confronted with a little boy that he thinks will become a killer. So he tries to take care of him before he grows up and does those terrible things. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that they're, that this is like a foreign concept to them that like people would kill other people. And this really reminds me of like the show mind Hunter, which is on Netflix. And it's like in the 1960s and they're like, they're defining like, you know, what a serial killer is. And they're asking a lot of these same questions. Um, and that's the reason they're doing all their research in this show is to try to catch serial killers before they become serial killers. Um, so it's, it's just real interesting stuff and in that it just comes to play in about 30 minutes here in the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like you referenced minority report last week. Yeah, that's right. The thought crimes. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's this is this this part. This moment is pretty interesting because they're talking about this idea of, you know, do you stop something? But if what the stranger in Tan House are talking about is true, that, you know, this is where they start getting into the future is influenced by the past just as much as the past is influenced by the future. Right. And so then we start to think is, you know, Ulrich has this plan um, that he's planning, like you said, he's planning to exact it so that the thing that won't happen, the thing that he thinks will happen won't happen. <laughs> but but um, we know that it seems like he just sets it all into play, though. I mean, he right, exactly. <laughs> all he's doing is just enforcing the future with his erratic actions. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we definitely see Ulrich like play out this whole causality effect thing throughout this yeah. episode. So back at the cabin, Helge is accosted by two older boys who push him down, pee on him Ooh. and take the coins in his pocket he was going to give to Claudia. Yeah. Ulrich comes out of the woods looking for old man Helge, not realizing Mm. this boy in front of him is younger Helge. And Ulrich asks him if he's seen the old man, and Helge says no. And then Ulrich tells him that he needs to defend himself or the bullies won't stop, and he suggests the next time Helge just bite them. (laughs) Right. I think that bit of advice will come back to bite him in the butt later on. <laughs> but this is exactly what we're talking about. The cause and effect. Yes. Like if he had, maybe if he hadn't told Helge this at this moment, he might not have bit him and he might have, you know, <laughs> succeeded in what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Well, even, even that though, that the question 
the second question Egon asks is, are killers born that way or made that way? And so mm-hmm. here we're seeing Helge um, abused, probably abused by his mother. Yes. Abused by the, picked on these kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if your life sucks, does that prime you to become a killer? I think, like, there's there's many questions going on here. But, um, but yeah, there's also the question of, is Ulrich... By by taking these actions, he himself caused the very thing he didn't want to happen. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and these bad things happen to Helge, but in addition to those bad things happening, he's got this person, like, saying these things to him that's, like, giving him advice. And he's taking the advice because he's a little kid and he's looking up to an adult. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's many reasons that are outside of his control. Of course, you know, you're supposed to have control of your own, you know, reasoning and actions, but these definitely, you know, have caused (laughs) some chain reactions in his life. Yeah. And that, that comes into the dialogue later, but we'll get to that when we get to that. (laughs) (laughs) So back to the Tanhouse stranger dialogue, Tanhouse draws the stick figure on a piece of paper. Yeah. Shining a light. There's the light shines in one direction And it's reasonable that the light will always go in that one direction. But if the wormhole exists, it changes the rules and nothing's where it belongs. He then folds the paper and the source of the light now comes back behind the stick figure and shines past him. So, yeah. We've already talked about this and that's that was my note next to this was Ulrich is an example in this episode of what he does affects the future. Mm hmm. So I didn't have any notes for the scene. I think I think Tanhouse yeah. says it best, right? Yeah, Tanhouse, <laughs> you did it. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> we should be podcasting with him too. So Ulrich walks along the street, and a car pulls up and is exited by an extremely beautiful woman oh, with oh, dark oh, hair <laughs> and lipstick red dress. Mm-hmm. And she asked if he can tell her how to find a particular address. Ulrich tells her that's the address of his house. <laughs> and she says, oh, are you Egon Tiedemann? Dun, dun. He doesn't want to hear that name. <laughs> yeah. Ulrich looks really confused by this pronouncement. And then he's further confused when she tells him she's Agnes Nielsen and her son is Tronte, his father. <laughs> well, she doesn't say that. But <laughs> I mean, he's looking good, too. He's got the pop collar and his hair going. I mean, they're quite a striking pair here, the mother and son of, well, I guess the father and grandmother of Ulrich, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just amazing stuff. And he doesn't handle it well. He runs away, literally, like (laughs) Mr. Bean. (laughs) Yeah, he's, he definitely, well, also... Let's look. Did you notice his face is pretty beat up? <laughs> this, you yeah, know, I Ulrich's, did. Uh, Ulrich's not looking good. This is like, I don't know, this is another callback. I filled 1899 with, um, I don't know, beefcake <laughs> prawns. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> He's always, his face is all dirty. But Ulrich is walking around with, like, blood all over himself. Yeah. <clears throat> and... Also interesting, you know, here's where we learned that the Nielsen house used to be the Tiedemann house. 
So right. somehow this house has changed hands from the Tiedemanns to the Nielsen's. So that's an interesting reveal. Yeah, that'll be fun watching that go down, how they're going to they're going to move in as <laughs> as like borders and then like take over the household somehow. Um, that's neat stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I still have to harp on him running away like this made my wife and myself like burst out laughing like louder than any comedy should make us laugh. The fact that he ran away from them, um, you know, just thought that was great. And it seems like the same like vocal, like this um, music that they're using for this scene is all like, you know, vocal chords and um, I don't just like a vocal pattern. It's the exact same stuff they were using in 1899. I like how it is the same Ben Frost doing like the background mm-hmm. music for this, right? Right. Yeah, I guess he cut and pasted that song because <laughs> I just noticed it was like it was very similar to me. Well, there's one, the thing I got most excited about seeing in this scene, Steve. What, besides? I saw uh, the birthmark. <laughs> oh, you did see it? Yeah, it's on Tronte's forehead. I didn't notice that. No, because his hair was all poofed over. Did he like do something to like expose it? Well, just when he, you know, if you're up, you're on the screen and you look real close, you can see his, yeah, he's got his little pompadour do, but right okay. underneath his hairline, you can see the little birthmark. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I was a little too excited about, you know, the fact that I could see this guy's birthmark. I was like, okay, they did do it. Good, good, good. Well, now we, we can, well, we'll wait till the end of the episode when yeah. they talk, when they show more of him. But yeah, now we can talk about his uh, birthmark without any spoilers, finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So back to the stranger Tanhouse dialogue. Tanhouse says that it's human nature to believe you can change the course of events, mm-hmm. but that's just pride. And here a time jump happens. And the camera switches to a younger version of Tan House in 1953. I love this. And the thing that happened right before this is that... um, And he was talking about the fact... Tan House, older Tan House is talking about the fact that he used to want to do certain things. and And then the stranger says... Well, you no longer do. And he said, no, my place is here right now. And then they switch to 1953 and we see the younger Tanhouse who maybe had all these hopes and dreams before. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was very interesting because, yeah, he does say his place is here. And it's like in like a windowless, dusty, ticking clock shop in Wyndham. doesn't seem like that would be his place, but I guess, you know, since he has that hidden cache of like time machines now, I mean, maybe that is his place is to be like the builder or something. And he's like just reserved to that fact. But, you mm-hmm. know, I, I don't know that when he was saying that it made me very sad for him that, you know, the, this dusty, dim clock shop is <laughs> where he's destined to be. Yeah, it's an odd it's an odd speech for for someone to make, I would say. But at the same time, this um, this conversation is all about what I hinted about earlier when Noah comes in and he and Mickle are having this conversation about worldview and how do you see the world. And this is what the stranger and Tannhaus are discussing is 
how do you see the world? What is your worldview? And they're talking about the fact that can you change the course of events? And the stranger seems to be asking, you know, can we change things or is it fate? And is it a returnal recurring cycle? Okay. And then Tanhouse is kind of, his worldview is that here I am, this is my place right now in the world. I will function here. I'm not going to disrupt. There's this quote I know I really like. It's, do I dare disrupt the universe? <laughs> and Tanhouse seems to be saying, no. I hear I'm a clockmaker. Here's my clock shop. And this is where I reside. Um, so I don't know. It's a loaded conversation. Yeah, I suppose so. And I, yeah. Okay. So th that gives me a lot of perspective here that the stranger is, you know, inquisitive about, you know, it, it's obvious that he wants to change something or he mm -hmm. doesn't want to change something. He's given, um, Jonas the advice to not change anything. Exactly. Like that sort of, you know, after we saw him do that speech to Jonas, right, where he seemed to be just like, go along with the course of events, don't disrupt anything. It's interesting that he's coming into the shop asking these questions as if he doesn't know, because uh -huh. it seemed like he was pretty sure before what Jonas needed mm -hmm. to do and what was possible. <laughs> yeah, maybe like, yeah, this is like his uh, second guessing block where he goes to, did I do the right thing, Tanhouse? Do you think it did mm -hmm. okay? <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, it's it's like, okay, is he is he actually asking these questions because he's asking for help or is he trying to make something happen? Right. Yeah, yeah I would just be asking out of pure curiosity. I'm not trying to change anything, but yeah, it seems mm -hmm. like he's a man on a mission, I gotta say. Right. And speaking of which, there's another ultimate time traveler on a mission here. He comes into the shop. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so then young, we're in the, when we go to the 1950s, young Ulrich comes into the store and he may, maybe he wants a watch. <laughs> <laughs> to fit in um, with the times. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, Ulrich shows him the copy of the book, A Journey right. Through Time and asks if he's the author. And Tanhouse looks at the picture, laughs, and says, no, he's not. Um, but Ulrich asks, what year is it? <laughs> and it's 1953. Ulrich says, this is impossible. And Tanhouse says, Stalin is dead, England has a queen, and Nanga Parbat has been conquered. I thought this was an amusing statement because... Um, <laughs> I'm like, I was like, what is Nanga Parbat? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that either. Did you look it up? I did. Yay. It, yeah, it's a mountain that was um, known as Killer Mountain because nobody could climb it. And somebody finally did in 1953. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, I like his little, uh, his little history lesson for Ulrich there. He doesn't just tell him what year it is. He tells him all the stuff that's going on. <laughs> yeah. And it's neat that like Ulrich is like the original time traveler, you know, doesn't even mean to be, but he's like just coming in here, disrupting stuff. Um, I don't mm -hmm. know. It's, it's so unexpected, um, especially from his point of view and young Tanhouse just seems like he's, I don't know. <laughs> 
would that be a weird question? It seems like that'd be a fun thing to do is like ask people like what year it is. And when they say what year it is, you say that's impossible. <laughs> that sounds like a YouTube prank. <laughs> it does. It does. But um, I, I think, yeah, I found this series interesting that he's that he says because it's not he doesn't say um, Hitler is dead, you know. He says Stalin is dead, and um, mm, okay. England. I don't think there's any. I don't have any big deep revelations about it. I just thought this was like if you wanted to, if you wanted to mention the three most important things happening right now, why would you bring? Why did you pick these three? Um, England has a queen. Does that? Oh yes, right. Never mind. England. Yeah. Okay. I see. I was like, why did they say England has a queen? Well, it's because before there was a king. Yeah, that's um, right. Obviously. So <clears throat> you didn't watch the Netflix series, Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> I have seen the crown, but um, that's what I'm talking about. The crown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, we now jump to the home of Claudia Tiedemann, the younger version. And she's in her house with her poodle, Gretchen. Yeah. Helgate comes to the door and looks really sad, telling her he doesn't have any coins. He doesn't mention the bullies. And Claudia is tutoring Helgate in math skills. And she hates it. She hates her job. <laughs> she doesn't like doing this. And I understand now their, um, their adult relationship in 1986. Um, mm. It makes total sense why she would, you know, be nice to Helgate but at the same time be dismissive of him as adults because she remembers him as like this dumb little kid who got all his answers wrong and <laughs> she's mm-hmm. forced to spend time with him and sometimes he pays her, sometimes he doesn't, I guess. Yeah. Well, also, um, I don't know, I noticed her tutoring is basically like, basically she just marks what answers he has wrong. Like, I mean, we don't have very long at this scene, but she's not like... <laughs> Here, let me show you how how to figure this out. She's right. just like, nope, that's wrong, that's wrong. But yeah, this is how their relationship began. Um, now he's from the wealthy family in town, right? But right. that gives him some panache a little bit. Yeah, but she's her family is more like working class. I mean, I guess policemen are considered working class. Absolutely. I don't know. Absolutely, yeah, blue collar. Yep. And she's got um, those braid loops. I love like her Queen Amidala style, like Star Wars hairstyle she's got here. Oh, it's- yeah. She's got, um, you know, red hair. She got a red shirt on. She got, got a red plaid skirt. Yeah. Very cute. Yeah. And Agnes and Trant Nielsen arrive at the door to see the room the Tiedemann family is renting. And we meet Doris Tiedemann, who is Claudia's mother. She's also adorable, too. Yeah. Um, a lot of people made a big point for a long time. That people, A lot of people would talk about the fact that Doris should have played, um, you know, been a Marta. <laughs> that she and Marta oh. look a lot alike. And yeah, they do. You're right about that. Okay. Yeah. Doris mentions her husband is a policeman and is gone from the house most of the time. Mm-hmm. He thinks... He's holding the city up, you know, like, um, and Agnes tells Doris her husband is dead. So. And then we get Tront and Claudia. This is how they know each other. This is how they met. Um, yes. Like the first, like as soon as he comes into town, 
he's he's meeting Claudia straight away and holding hands with her within like <laughs> a mm-hmm. half an hour. He's got that pompadour hair all all suave. <laughs> yeah, he's got confidence, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and we see a young teen version of Yana and Ina's into the shop of HG Tanhouse. <laughs> Ulrich is having a rough day. He's seen both of his parents. <laughs> yep. <laughs> In one day. I mean, Jonas, um, you made fun of Ulrich how he ran away. Basically, Jonas did the same thing um, when he saw Hanna, right? Less, <laughs> He's like, less subtly, Let me go. though. <laughs> I gotta say. <laughs> yeah. But Ulrich never sits still for long. You know, he can never, he's just like on to the next thing, right? <laughs> I wrote somewhere in my notes, um, run, <laughs> run, Lola, run, because that's who Ulrich <laughs> reminds me of. <laughs> So these two are friends, Yana and Inez, and Inez is picking up her father's watch. Right. And Ulrich startles to hear his mother's name. And then uh, and he says, like, Mama? <laughs> Mama? Cute. Yeah. And then he gets an even bigger shock when Inez mentions that there are two dead boys found at the construction site. And Ulrich just... Oof. He runs off again. Well, first and he has to grab the kid and shake the kid a whole bunch. Yes, it's terrible, yes. and I can't believe Tanhouse stood for that. Like, hey, hands off the kids, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, um, yeah, he was a real mood killer too, because they came in there all happy <laughs> and like, well, we have news for you, Tanhouse, and like, it's obvious they're friends too, right? That he yeah. has like a friendly relationship with them. And Ulrich just killed the mood by shaking her and running off. Well, it is kind of, it is kind of weird that, I mean, I guess this is what kids do, but it's like, Helge is so excited that there's dead bodies and Ina's and Nina's, Ina's seems pretty happy about it as well. Like, did you hear the news? There's two, there's two dead bodies um, at the construction site. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if that should be something you should be happy about, but still. (laughs) And this is exactly what Ulrich is here for. So obviously he's going to jump to it, but he still shouldn't shake kids around. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, agreed. But he is typical Ulrich mood. He dines and dashes and he leaves his jacket (laughs) on a chair in the shop. Right. Big mistake. So then we come to the site of the power plant where Bern Doppler is giving a motivational speech about the future and how great the power plant will be for uh-huh. bringing the future to Winden. And in fact, Winden will now become like the center of the universe because it has this power plant. <laughs> yeah, does it become that in 2019? It seems like it's still just a small town. I don't think that ever mm-hmm. really came to play. Yeah. But the audience looks really bored with this speech and also sort of another mood killer. You, you said mood killer before, Steve. Mm-hmm. So it's a mood killer. The, the police come in and start t- <laughs> start uh, nailing signs in the ground that there's a crime scene <laughs> nearby. Yeah, it doesn't look good. And, and Egon talks to Burned and asks for a list of workers on the premises the night before the bodies were found. That sounds real familiar also. You yeah. know, who was working that night? It's like the exact same thing happened in three time periods. It's fantastic. Yeah. And 
Yeah, he blames the coal employees. He, <laughs> that's a, I mean, it's not a, not a rough stretch, you know, because that, those would be the people impacted. Yeah. You better look into those coal plant employees, Egon. You know, do your job. <laughs> yeah, he's like poking at Egon and he's like asserting his, do already he's asserting his dominance over the police. So you can already see how the power plant is like a more powerful, you know, force than the police force even. Because mm -hmm. he's telling I them mean, what to do and, you know, when to do it and how to do it. Mm. Money is power, Steve. Money is power. Hey, it don't. It ain't got no power over me, baby. Uh-uh. <laughs> I mean, Egon. I'm uh, sorry. Burned is the one with the cash um, in this town, so I guess he he runs the town or thinks he does. Yeah, and he's like a real fanatic too. He's like way into this power plant. Like, seems like it's more than he should be. He's like really into it. Like, it's his religion. Mm -hmm. So we cut back to the children, and Claudia is showing Trant the property outside their home with Helge trailing along behind. They're not really being mean to Helge, but they're sort of ignoring him and making him feel left out. And they pass by the cave where Ulrich came out before, and Claudia says sometimes they go inside the cave as a dare, and... He, um, she kind of mentions this to Trant, and maybe he should, he should take the dare right now. And I think <laughs> Trant basically says like, "Oh, we better get back for dinner" or something like that. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> mm -hmm. And sort of Helga is feeling bitter, bitter and left out, and so he gets Gretchen to run into the cave by throwing a stick inside. And we can hear Gretchen barking, but she doesn't come out. And then Claudia begins calling for her dog, and Helge runs off guiltily. Yeah, this is like our first like moment of cruelty, I think, we see from Helge. This is like the first time we see that. Um, you know, and like you said, they're not being mean to him at all. Claudia and uh, Trant, like they're not... Mm -hmm. In no way are they being mean, but it kind of reads the same way in Helge's mind because he's feeling left out. So he's like reading things, making connections <laughs> that um, maybe aren't necessarily there. Like they don't like me. They're not talking to me. I'm littler than they are, etc. Yeah. Well, Claudia does tell Helge, maybe you should just go go home. You know, <laughs> so I thought that was... You know, like she's not doing when I say she's not they're not being mean, they're not doing what the bullies were doing, um, which shouldn't be the bar uh, for, <laughs> for kindness. Right. But also they're not exactly like, you know, they're not being nice to him either, especially by saying maybe you should just go home, you know. So not that that's an excuse to take out your frustrations on a dog. No. But yeah. Yeah, it's a mean move, but we do see here, like I said, this is where Claudia and Trant are kind of like walking arm in arm or hand in hand or something. You know, you can kind of you can kind of tell they like each other. Yeah. So back at the police station, Ulrich is arguing with a couple of men in the hall and wants to see the dead bodies so he can tell if one of them is his son. Mm -hmm. Egon comes in and takes over the questioning and you have to hand it to Egon here. 
I thought he was doing a good job with this yeah. with this interruption because every the other two dudes are like, "Sir, he's drunk," um, and Egon takes it seriously though and is asking, you know, what what does your son look like and and tells him. Oh, sorry, well, he doesn't ask him, but Ulrich describes what his son looks like, and then Egon says that script just doesn't fit. And um, <clears throat> Ulrich wants to know if they know Helge Doppler, and Egon looks confused because the only Helge he knows is the son of Bern Doppler. Right. And then off and, goes Ulrich again. Yep. <laughs> 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 There's no pausing with him. Nope. And yeah, I noted the same thing too, how, um, how Egon, I'm glad Egon got in this conversation because otherwise it might've gone way more South than it did with those other two guys questioning him. Mm-hmm. So here, yeah, we get to see, I don't know, this is, this is interesting to me. Anytime Egon and Ulrich are together. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the, the wind and police. Yep. No future. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so Egon arrives home and is greeted by Doris, who asks him about his day, before telling him um, about the guests that are visiting about the room. And she tries to reach out to him, I feel, a little bit, and he's kind of brushes her off and just says he's tired. Typical, typical, like, you know, I'm tired, home from work kind of husband's talk. And he doesn't tell her about his day. He had a real interesting day. He didn't tell her anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I kind of I kind of want to give him a pass because I'm like, okay, they, there were guests there. He probably couldn't, like, open up about a murder when they have people, you know, right. standing that's, right next. In that situation, he'd be like, oh, my God, I got some stuff to tell you later. Um, after that's true dinner <laughs> yeah but um yeah you kind of get the feeling that doris is used to many like long nights waiting for her husband to come home she even mm-hmm. tells them please don't be late again because i invited them to dinner well she um, tells so them that after she makes him leave <laughs> well, yeah, that was a yeah. really strange way to like do that but i i got her point though yeah Egon seems a little taken back by Agnes at first, maybe because she's so hot. <laughs> she's hot, dude. <laughs> but he quickly recovers and begins interrogating her um, the same way he might interrogate Jonas or anybody else. You know, That's he's kind of like, You're right about yeah. Um, Who is your grandmother? And where's where's your husband? He's just kind of asking her questions again, and and. Um, Doris is, seems to be trying to get him to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> With good reason, yeah, because yeah. she, she sees it as being kind of prying. It makes me, yeah, it was like, I always watch this scene and I think, well, I want to know who, who you said the grandmother was, but you never hear that. I, I hope that comes up later because I, I really wanted to know that too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but before Agnes can answer this question, Claudia bursts into the room yelling about how Gretchen has disappeared. And Egon kind of tells her to calm down and, and tell him what happened. 
and he plans to go to the Doppler house to see if Helge knows anything. This scene made me laugh. You, you talked about you and Heather laugh. This scene made me <laughs> laugh because okay. when they when Claudia runs into the house, Trante is following behind her, and he looks like really exhausted. <laughs> He's like, oh, like, like he could barely keep up with Claudia. <laughs> I didn't notice that. I didn't make notice of that. So we see Helge sitting outside the Doppler mansion with a wooden box. Oh, right. And he opens the box <laughs> and we have a collection of dead birds. Now, Helge is not Charlotte's blood relative, but it's funny that like... She mm-hmm. had that fascination with dead birds, too. Mm-hmm. And remember how we talked about that sort of can be a sign of a serial killer. <laughs> yep, you were saying that as a matter of fact, and I think I see why now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he closes the box when he sees Ulrich come up behind him, and Ulrich asks if he is Helge Doppler, and Helge says yes. And then Helge says, did you find the man that you were looking for? <laughs> Ulrich nods his head yes. Yep. And Helge mentions that Ulrich looks really sad. Right. And he shows, Ulrich shows Helge the one Fennig coin and asks, have you ever seen this before? Oh, Helge's like, nope. And then Ulrich asks, what's in the box? And Helge shows him the birds. Ulrich says, did you kill them? (laughs) And Helge says no, and that the birds just fall from the sky and that he collects them, which is, yeah, it's exactly what Charlotte does, right? Yeah, exactly. Except he uh, has this little add-on that you're getting ready to say. (laughs) Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, he shares that they look beautiful when they're dead. (laughs) <laughs> and that's when the music changes and Ulrich's face like goes for the worst. And me mm-hmm. too. I was like, no, that was the worst thing you could say, Helge. What are you doing, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what's happening here is like Ulrich is making all this happen. He's making the red string and the penny happen. Um, he's, he's making history happen right here in front of our eyes. And mm-hmm. especially when, when um, Helge says to him, you look sad. Because right. he does. He says that to Peter as well a couple episodes back. That's like the only thing that Helge ever says as old Helge that to me sounded like he was concerned for Peter. But now mm-hmm. I'm thinking he was just repeating some random phrase from this moment because this is such an important moment in his life. Right. Well, uh, yeah, he says now with, um, with uh, Peter... He says, don't be sad. But yes, you're right. It's the same. Yeah, I mean, didn't even think about that. You know, that's, um, there's, I was, I'm thinking more about what he says later, which we're about ready to get to. Okay. Um, But I also noticed, this is the point where I actually noticed how beat up Helge actually is. Um, Where his, he's wearing these, before he was wearing like longer pants and now he's wearing these like shorty pants, like short pants or whatever you want to call them. And his, his kneecaps are like, um, filthy bruised. He has bruises all over his body basically is what I'm saying. And 
I became aware of that watching this scene um, the, the time before. Because um, remember I said, oh, he doesn't really look, look that dirty. Um, now he's wearing different clothes, but like he doesn't just look dirty. He looks like he's been beat up pretty bad. Do you think like his mom would be the culprit here? Is that what you're guessing? Well, there's that and also the bullies. I mean, they were oh, pushing him around. Obviously, and, yeah. Um, okay. So it could be, I mean, I think he gets it from all sides, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Um, yeah, but so Ulrich does sound really sad, but he remarks that one day Helge will kill many times and Helge starts to look a little freaked out by this talk and then Ulrich says, but I can change it, the future and the past. Now, what freaks me out about this line is that's what Helge says. Yeah, exactly. When Ulrich comes to visit him. Um, when, I guess it was the last episode or the episode before, when he, when, um, when, Hel- when Ulrich comes to visit him twice in the nursing home, you know, mm-hmm. um, he, when, in Ulrich is like, hey, why didn't you come to your um, your appointment? Why not Forest Road? <laughs> <laughs> and he's basically interrogating him. And then Helge starts to get all freaked out. He says, I know you. Um, this is him. I know you. I know him. And then he mm-hmm. says, I can change it, the future and the past. Now, you were saying that you feel like he's repeating something from this moment. And I think this is repeating. I was like, this could be we're seeing it like, oh, Helge is trying to change the past. But is he actually just repeating what Oryx says because he's yes. remembering this moment? Well, I think it's a, I guess it could be both. I think mm-hmm. he's repeating these things because this moment was so important. Like from Helge's perspective, like this man came into his life and all these things happened and these things were said. And so they just created like an echo loop in his mind that like came into play more when he's older. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I'm thinking, see, I guess it plays differently in my, like I freaked out when I noticed this. Cause it's like, we're thinking he's Helge's meaning something, but it would be almost like, you know, if you said to me, um, you know, the Kool-Aid man. And then, um, you know, 20 years later I see you and I go, Oh, the Kool-Aid man. And then you might be like, Oh, what is, you know, what is she talking about? Maybe she wants Kool-Aid, but I'm just like repeating what you said to me. <laughs> okay. And it's, <laughs> he's just saying, Oh, I know him. This is what that man said. And like, and this is yeah. like the eternal recurring cycle, right? Like by Helge saying that Ulrich, um, Ulrich chose to believe Helge was the person and now he's saying it and has causing like we, oh my gosh I can't even yeah it's a it's a it's a cause and effect that's fully like looping into itself like an Ors Boris basically yeah um so Ulrich is going to attack him. Helge realizes that, and then Ulrich grabs him, but Helge decides to bite Ulrich. Yep. <laughs> Just like he uh, suggested he do next time. Yep. And we think that, you know, Helge is running away. We think he's going to make it, but Ulrich catches him, and it's, it's horrible. He just grabs this little tiny boy and throws him onto the ground, 
Yeah. And bashes his head in with a rock. Seven times. I had to watch it a couple times to count how many times. It was seven. Seven times? Seven times. Man. I mean, he did exhibit all the signs of an early serial killer, but at the same time, he had to like look a little kid in his eyes and like mm-hmm. actively, actively harm the child. So I think that's, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's got to be a tough spot. And I don't know if Ulrich, he obviously didn't do the right thing. He obviously also didn't kill Helge here because he bashed his head in and we see Helge later and he's got all these scars. This is why mm-hmm. from this man. I mean, and, he does to his, I mean, <laughs> I say to his credit, I don't want to, I don't want to give him any credit, but he does hesitate before hitting him with the rock the first time. Ulrich is sitting above him. He takes the rock. He holds it above his head. He looks down at, um, he looks down at Helge and then he decides, yes, I'm going to go forward with it. And it's like. Okay, Ulrich, you are trying to stop the murder of children by murdering children. Right. I think that like at the at the very end of this episode, when we like pan out on Ulrich's face, that, that must be what he's thinking. Like, I just killed a child. Like, he's supposed to be the hero here. And he's like actually the supervillain. He's coming in here and making making these things happen. He's mm-hmm. ensuring that the future is going to happen instead of like preventing it. He's ensuring that it happens. So was Egon right about him all along? And what? Oh, like is um that he's trouble? <laughs> too soon to say. I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, he does have something in him here, but Egon was wrong when he was looking at little kid Ulrich. He was pretty much wrong about all that. Um, but yeah, but Daniel says you got to catch them when they're young and um, before they become killers. <laughs> That's right. So you're saying if Egon had like um, old Egon had, you know, leaned heavily and maybe like planted some evidence <laughs> on Ulrich and then ensured he was in jail forever. I'm yeah, just, that would have <laughs> a different show. It would have been yeah. a different show. I mean, I'm not saying I, I agree with that, but I'm like, according to this worldview, Egon was right. Ulrich is a troublemaker. And even if it's kind of like, um, well, my I guess the show Mindhunter, you're like, catch people before they do a crime. Um, even if he was wrong about young Ulrich, <clears throat> was it right to like lock up young Ulrich knowing that this would be the person <laughs> he would become one day? Um, yeah. Philo- philosophy. But yeah, Ulrich created the Helge that we know, and this is how he did it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, at the Doppler house, Egon arrives and is greeted by Greta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Greta is cold as ice to Egon. She does not seem to like him at all. I haven't seen her warm to anybody, though. <laughs> Oh, hmm. yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe she just doesn't like anybody. <laughs> but it, it is curious to be like how she she even talks to Egon the same way that she talks to Helge. I mean, she like crosses her arms mm-hmm. and, you know, there is no dog. <laughs> it's kind of like the Matrix. There is no spoon. <laughs> he's like, that's right. <laughs> he's like, does Helge have Gretchen? No, 
Helge knows there's no dogs allowed in the house. Um, and he's like, well, if you see her, there is no dog. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. Um, so then, but then we do see Greta afterwards, after he's left, she's looking for Helge and she finds his box of birds. Right. There's no redeeming qualities for her right now. She's just a a nasty, mean person is all there is to it. Like they, they could have like dressed her up differently and, you know, had her makeup done differently. And she could have been, you know, cause she's, you know, just as pretty as everybody else in this show, just as beautiful. But the Mm -hmm. way she's so austere, it just completely is just off putting (laughs) and she does it well. Yeah. So Ulrich drags Helge's body into the bunker and here's our montage. Yeah, this is where Helge learned this from. <laughs> we have um, Agnes and Doris Tiedemann. Um, Agnes Nielsen and Doris Tiedemann are making up the bed together. And Agnes accidentally, quote unquote, puts mm-hmm. her hand on top of Doris's while they're laying down the linens. And Doris looks really surprised. And Agnes acts like it's an accident or a mistake. Oh, silly me. <laughs> <laughs> we see. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting because when we see Egon before, you know, he seems like so taken aback by her beauty. Right. And you're kind of thinking. Um, is, you know, is Agnes there to seduce Egon or, you know, is there going to be an affair? And then it's like, wow, uh, there's more chemistry with Doris right here, you know, making the bed. She could take Um, her pick. (laughs) She could have an affair with anybody (laughs) she wants. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then we see Claudia with the empty dog leash and Trant in his new room and he rolls up his sleeves and this is where we see his arms are covered in cigarette burns or cigar burns right and we don't know if he did put that there himself like he's a self-mutilator or if he's mm-hmm. being abused by his mom or he was abused by his dead dad um but it's gross it's gross mm-hmm. and this is why um i saw on reddit people were or at least one person was um guessing that the reason that Trant has that birthmark on his head is like a um an echo of these cigar burns. So like when mm-hmm. you see like old Trant, you know, he he has ba- a bald head, so they made sure to put like a burn like on his forehead so you would kind of you know remember that about him. It'd be like a echo in time of his cigar burns, I guess. That's just a mm. theory somebody had online. Yeah. And we're seeing photos of uh, our characters in different time periods. Oh, yes. We have Egon, Tronte, Claudia, Jana, Inez, Helge, Katarina, Ulrich, and Hanna at different Claudia, ages. Though, the, we see like an, a picture of an old Claudia, though, which is the first time we see that, right? Yeah, we see... Yeah, I, I had her... I said her name, but like, yes, she, we see her actually in person, old Claudia. We know it's her because there's a picture. Right. But the other cool thing about this is, okay, she's in front of this. She's the one standing in front of the photo board. And, but the other cool thing is they, 
at the beginning, we saw Helge, you know, playing. He had a stick as a rifle. He had the pine cones as grenades. Okay. Here they have a real rifle, oh, real grenades, right. and then gas cans. Um, so the, the gas cans are new, but I thought that was kind of a cool, like, Call all right, here's, yeah. the real, here's the real uh, grenades here as where we saw the, had the pine cones before. Yeah, I, did, I didn't make that connection at all. That's great. I love it. I think we're like on one of our last scenes here. Yes, Lindsay? Yes. We are back at the clock shop where Stranger and the Stranger and Tanhouse are still talking. Tanhouse finishes up by admitting that the book is just filled with theories, not facts. <laughs> it's like, have you done all this stuff? Oh, it's all just a theory, though. Who knows the truth? <laughs> well, someone <And> does. <laughs> <laughs> the stranger asks what he would think if it were true. And then the theoretical talk ends. And the stranger says, I come from the future. So just exactly what Mikkel said to uh, Inez. I think that's what all time travelers say when they uh, reveal themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, may, some people might say I come from the past, but um, oh, but yeah, he's okay. So he comes from the future and he has traveled to 1986 using this time machine. Okay. He opens the suitcase or whatever you want to call it, lays out the machine we have seen in the stranger's possession all along, but now it's broken and he wants Tanhouse to help him fix it. And then um, the machine doesn't work by itself, and a wormhole is created by an incident that released a blast of energy at the power plant. And he wants Tanhouse to fix the machine so that he can destroy the wormhole that exists. So now we find out his agenda, or his alleged agenda. Um, right. The Tanhouse is like, what, you want to create another wormhole? And he says, no, I want to close it. Close the one that exists. Yeah, that goes along with like what he was saying with, with Jonas to like, you know, not mess with time anymore. But it, it feels like the stranger is not taking his own advice <laughs> to me. A little bit. Yeah. He's a little back and forth like all of us are. Um, is the, uh, he says something about how there was a blast of energy. Was that like mm -hmm. the earthquake that Charlotte was talking about? Maybe, um, I mean, we don't know, but I'm just guessing that could be it. Right. Or, or have we seen, um, have we seen this blast of energy yet? Well, the lights flashing. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's like. I guess I'm thinking that the the flickering lights is what happens when someone goes through the cave. Right, yeah. Um, we, we so I'm not that. sure that's the same as a wormhole. Um, unless not. unless maybe that maybe that hole in the cave is a wormhole. Uh -huh. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because you got the black hole, the white hole, and the part in the middle, which I guess would be called the wormhole. Um I mean we'll find out as we get further along. But mm -hmm. I think it's interesting how as soon as he starts saying all this, it makes Tanhouse mad for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, he tells him to leave. <laughs> yeah, why is that? Like they were having this whole conversation about things. Then all I didn't think what the stranger said was so like leave worthy, was it? Well, it kind of depends on 
what what I'm saying, okay, so yeah, this is my current theory about this is they've been having this conversation and regardless of what Tanhouse actually believes, if we're listening to his concluding statements, he thought they were all just having a friendly chat. Okay. Right? Like we thought they were just like two okay. scientists Two science nerds swapping theories. And then the stranger is like now revealing a hidden agenda that he had. So now Tanhouse is perhaps feeling like he's been a little used or a little betrayed. Like, you know, you didn't you didn't share your you didn't share your hand, you know, at all. You sort of it was sort of like playing a game of poker um and and he's talking about wormholes wormholes uh, that exist because somebody can travel through time and space so the stranger is a stranger so why would he want to fix time um tanhouse may be like hesitant to want to help somebody that he doesn't know what he really wants and here he's already kept a secret so I don't know. Well, he kept the secret of his own because he has, you yep. know, he goes up the ladder and he has like his own little time machine too that he already has. So he has mm-hmm. seen that machine before because yeah. he built it, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the stranger calls Wyndon a festering wound. I thought that was, you know, another callback from yep. um, Katarina. Katarina, right? Yep. And claims, the stranger claims he can fix it, but Tannhauser is not interested in discussing this further, and the stranger just says, well, I'll be back. He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, After the stranger leaves, Tannhauser climbs up a ladder and pulls out uh, an exact replica that looks like the stranger's time machine, confirming that Tannhauser does believe it's more than just theories. But for some reason, he doesn't want to share that. He does chooses not to share that information with the stranger. And then we cut back to Tanhouse in 1953. Oh, this is fun. Where, yeah, he walks over to Oryx's jacket and goes through his pockets and finds Oryx's cell phone and gets a shock when it lights up. And then Ulrich is sitting in front of the hatch guarding the body he just killed. Yes. Yeah, so Ulrich not only created Helge, I think he also created Tannhaus in a way because he showed Tannhaus like a lot of the future and Mm -hmm. put some technology in his hands. This is a fascinating thing to happen is to have like an iPhone in the hands of someone in the 50s, especially Mm -hmm. a really bright scientist type. That could maybe reverse engineer it somehow. Yeah. So, yeah, the implication they're kind of leaving us with is that Ulrich being in this shop and showing him the book the somehow. Book. Right. Yeah. Somehow <laughs> inspired Tanhouse to believe in the con- concept of time travel. Yeah. Which makes which that's why I was so questioning why he just got mad at the stranger and kicked him out so quickly like that. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I guess it's, it's, it's television. They'll, yeah. they'll make, they'll make amends. <laughs> they'll, they'll come back and hug. Um, so perhaps by Ulrich visiting, he caused his own son's death. 
Seems that way to me. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, and if not, he at least created like a spoke in the wheel to like make that happen. Yeah, I don't know if I have any. Um, it's already a, that's a lot. Eno- that's enough. Um, I think some questions people might have here are like, how does Helge live? What do you After mean? Being, how does he live? Well, oh, I mean, how does he live through he, that beating? Yeah, he had his brain bashed in seven times. Like, you know, I guess he's got a thicker skull than we give him credit for or Ulrich. <laughs> Because um, he he doesn't seem that smart, and in the future mm-hmm. he doesn't seem like he's like the brightest man in the world. Mm-hmm. He's working yeah. the gate, you know. Not nothing nothing against security guards or anything like that, but you know, coming from the family that he comes from, his potential was much higher. Yeah. Um, and then there's the question about Ulrich. How did the how does the Tiedemann house become the Nielsen house? Um, we might be seeing the beginnings of that here. Yeah, Agnes <laughs> is know. like taking over, like with her, like <laughs> using her her beauty to <laughs> take mm-hmm. over the household somehow to cause a strife. Yeah. So, yeah. What did you think of this episode overall, Steve? Oh, I adored it. I it, it gave me everything I wanted because I love, um, even though I don't really a hundred percent understand, you know, all the all the big um, wormhole talk that the, that the boys do in the in the clock shop. I, I still love it. I, I I like it a lot, and you get a lot of it this episode. A lot of Ulrich reveals. Um, you know, my mind has changed about Ulrich a little bit. I mean, overall, this is this is a great. This is a Barnes burner. <laughs> it burned my brain. <laughs> um, what did you? What do you mean? You change your mind about Ulrich? I mean, okay. I mean, I never really liked Ulrich, but I never also thought he did anything that was like you know. I mean, he, he cheated on his wife. That's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, he's. I don't know. Like after watching him bashing the kid's head, <laughs> you kind of feel a little differently about people, I suppose. I mean, it, it's as simple as that. Like the fact that he was, he had it in himself to like brutal be, to be that brutal. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would argue that most people probably could not do that. Mm-hmm. So that definitely, that absolutely made me look at him much differently. Yeah. Like worse, worse, much worse. Okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, I, I thought so. Like with your explanation, but then at the same time, I was like, when you, yeah, I was just like, what do you mean? And it changed how? Like I thought we already sort of. Well, I mean, we before we were kind of like, oh, Ulrich, he's such a mess. I mean, like he's a cheater and a liar. But I guess we weren't like, oh, he's also a murderer. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. How exactly. about yourself? What what was what did this episode fall for you? I think I now consider this episode one of my favorites. I always really liked um, the nineteen fifty three bits because yeah. this is. I mean, this isn't the last episode. It was the first time we went in, but this is. Uh, you know, for the most part, this episode is all nineteen fifties, and yeah, I really like seeing young Claudia and young um, Helge. 
And it's like, it's a pretty brutal episode overall, but I, I was very, um, you know, might not be surprised to hear this, but I was pretty bored by the conversation <laughs> um, of the stranger in Tan House. Now, I will have to say this is actually um, a pretty important episode overall for the show. Yeah. Um, so I think that I'm more... Um, this is one of the recaps that I really had to spend a lot of time on because I, before I, I used to just tune out the com- these kinds of sciency conversations. <laughs> sure, yeah. I was like, let me move, let's move on to the plot and the things that are interesting. <laughs> um, but now I'm like, no, you really, you really need to write all this stuff down. Um, this is this is pretty good, pretty rich stuff. So I mean, it's part of the plot. It yeah. leads the plot. Yeah, and it always has something to do with it. Yeah, everything has everything to do with everything in this show. <laughs> <laughs> but but yes, I always really like this episode for the. I mean, seeing seeing Ulrich take this action is pretty earth shattering in understanding the events that happen and sort of opening up because at the beginning we're thinking this is terrible people killed these boys and now it's like if or it can be um encouraged to kill a child like this when we know he really just wanted to save his own son what other what are other people it makes you question the whole show like it makes you question all the events you've seen up till this point yeah, absolutely. It makes me want to see some more events. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm loving the 1953, too. Like, I love the aesthetic of that. And I, I want to see more of that. I hope we stick with it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I want to see I want to see adult Claudia. I want to see those barrels. I want to see what happens with all that. And I want to see 1986 burnt again so I can compare him. Because I've you said that he was so much like um, his counterpart here. And I've kind of forgotten that. I just remember he had a goatee and he had a wheelchair and he was kind of heavier, but I don't remember much else about well, him. Well, I meant his appearance. Yeah, I know. Yeah, not, I can't um, really not necessarily remember. his behavior. He doesn't do, we don't see him do much, you know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, so can I ask you if we can collect our favorites, not our favorites, but you know, our standouts and our stand downs. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Of the episode, <laughs> stand down, sir. <laughs> so, who, okay. who, do you want to, who do you want to give your uh, your number one favorite person to this episode? Well, my number one favorite character is going to be Helge. Okay, in this episode or in general? In this episode. Okay, okay. Um, we always talk about this ep- each episode, right, Steve? Yes, so. we do. We do. It's just the way you uh, worded that. It made me uh, for made this me question. Yeah. yeah. For this episode, I want to give my favorite character word to little Helge because he goes through so much. I just feel for him. Um, I mean, even before he was, you know, he has dementia, dement, he has dementia, <laughs> dement. dement as an older person. <laughs> He's sort of in this listless security job in the 1980s. But here as a young kid, we see how he's mistreated by pretty much everybody. And he has such an active and beautiful imagination, though. Like, you see him 
playing,、um, and even though he's playing war,、um, but I think that's. <laughs> You know, it's something you see little kids do, boys and girls, not just boys. But,、right. um, but yeah, it's like this is something kids do. He had an active, lovely imagination, and he was just beat down by everybody. So I want to say, I want to give little、um, Helge a big old hug、Aww. and a big old. I want to give him a big old trophy for this week. <laughs> A participation trophy for Helg. That's nice. <laughs> I see. I, I can see all that because we don't see anything but young Helgate here, and he is pretty beat down. Yeah, I appreciate that. For my best, for my favorite guy this episode, it's a、mm-hmm. guy. I mean, he's so fucking cool. Trant is so <laughs> cool, man. He's got that pop collar and his hair, and he's like get, getting the lady. Like as soon as he gets in town, he's got that lady. I'm gonna give it to Trant just because he's so cool and he just he's so confident and he's he again you know talk about our our characters that have been beat down he's obviously been beat down by somebody or he's beaten himself down with these cigar burns so you got to、mm. feel for the guy you know there's there's levels to him and he's not adult Trant here he's he's little kid Trant and he's so cool I'm giving it to him. Okay. Well, before you before we move on to the stand downs, then I want to do something a little a little unorthodox here. Okay, I like that. I'm going to give an honorable mention trophy、um, for a, for a character I want to root for,、um, just because I feel like he deserves it. Egon, 1953 Egon. Okay. I feel like this is, you know, we've we've talked about how he's <clears throat> sort of a lousy cop, and I've I've given Egon a lot of flack. I will say <laughs> Me too. for his treatment of Ulrich, and、um, here I want to say I feel like this is Egon in his prime. Here, you know, like he's doing a good job with this. He's he's working hard. He was a good policeman.、Um, he's asking the questions, even though he's sort of beat up. He、uh, just came home from a long day at work, and he. Goes immediately back out to help his daughter find her dog.、Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Egon deserves a little bit of respect here. I agree. Good honorable mention there. And、okay. <laughs> he seems like he's you know nothing but a good guy here. He's got a good moral compass. You're absolutely right. No no complaints with Egon whatsoever in this episode. All、mm-hmm. oh, the way he handled Ulrich in the hallway there when they were all like, "This is a drunk guy." Yes. He's like. There's like some little clicking、mm-hmm. noise of this motion there, like shut、yes. up, guys, I got this. <laughs> back up, back up, people, I've got this guy. I'm gonna listen to him. Oh, and he was getting he was getting、uh, shamed by、uh, by Burnt too. Like Burnt was poking his <laughs> finger in his chest, and Egon was just yeah being a、he、police officer. He keeps his cool. Yep, he keeps his cool. He's a cool cop. <laughs> <laughs> It's all right. Honorable mention, Egon. So let's、uh, let's. Take our trail to the to the lowest of the low. This episode, we got a couple of couple of despicable characters. This episode to choose from. So, who did you choose? Well, I'm going to have to give mine to the old battle axe, Greta Doppler. Oh, Greta. Okay, she deserves it, man. She's awful. She's a biatch. She, she's nobody's favorite mom. <laughs> She might have a pretty nice body, but she needs to leave the attitude at home. Yeah, and the abuse too. She's if she, if she's not、um, abusing our boy Helge, if she's not sexually abusing him, 
then she's definitely like mentally abusing him big time. Like no matter what, emotionally, she's in the wrong. emotionally, emotionally as well. Yeah. Maybe that's what I meant. Terrible lady. I wanted, mm-hmm. I wanted to give my worst to her also just because of that. But I don't know. She didn't smash any kids heads with rocks. <laughs> so that's why I chose Ulrich for my <laughs> least. <laughs> you got to hand it to her. She didn't bash any kids heads in with rocks. <laughs> nope. She did not. Oh my. The bar is very low this week. Um, Ulrich takes the cake. Um, not because I hate Ulrich necessarily, but just because I hate this act. It's awful. I mean, it's mm-hmm. despicable. Even if he thinks he's doing the right thing, it's obviously the wrong thing. Like mm-hmm. anytime you think you're doing something for good, like take a step back, look around and like, how would somebody else view this from their perspective? If they saw this right now, not mm-hmm. probably not as good. So yeah, yeah, we got Greta Doppler and Ulrich Nielsen, the worst mm-hmm. of the worst this episode. It changes a lot here between our best and our worst, because we were just saying our worst was Egon last week. Well, yeah, I did. Yeah. And that's why you had to like turn it around this week. Like, hey, buddy, see, I'm not playing favorites. <laughs> I, I, it may never be. There may never be a good episode for Egon again. So <laughs> oh, no, don't say that. I've got hope for the guy now. <laughs> But yeah, we, we're almost at the two-hour mark here, not quite, which is great, because I can't make those little videos that I like to make if, if our episodes are more than two hours long, I found out recently. Mm. <laughs> so okay. we're ending at just the right time, Lindsay. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to go over before we, uh, before we end our episode? No, I think I'm ready for closing down the simulation. <laughs> closing time. Well, all right. Um, as usual, you can find Lindsay at oneofmystories.com. That's the number one of my stories where her written recaps are there. And she makes these episodes into YouTubes. And don't forget, she has a podcast, too. Her podcast doesn't just cover dark. She's covering all the movies, and she's been doing stuff forever. So hats off to Lindsay. <laughs> um, you find me um, at intro.void on Instagram. That's the best way to find me, I suppose. And I also have my band, Intro Void, on Spotify. And next week, we're going to be tackling episode nine. I don't have the title in front of me, but you know what it is. You'll be watching it with us. Uh, Lindsay, I hope you and the listeners always find some water and shade. Steve, I hope you find water and shade and a little poodle. Oh, to, <laughs> to hang out with when you're lonely and blue. Gretchen, bark, bark. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, Lindsay. Bye. Good night. <laughs>